We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Yesterday, Cliff Sora shared a top 10 list of hot fusion restaurants, a vegan gluten-free mashup recipe, and a podcast featuring organic food trends. Oh, TMI, I, too much internet information. That's oversharing. Cliff, Geico has something worth sharing with your friends. Like how on geico.com you could save hundreds on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim. Gluten-free info that's easy to swallow. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com. 
They're the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you deposit on DraftKings, and that'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, it is Monday, October 19th, the year 2015. Nick Whalen, here as I always am, on Mondays with Derek Van Riper. Derek, a lot of games to break down. Um, I know, first of all, we both were uh, not able to catch all of the games, as we usually do on Sundays. You were at the, the Green Bay game, Green Bay-San Diego. That was a late game on Sunday. I was driving back. I was at the USC-Notre Dame game uh, on Saturday night. So, I mean, how was your Lambeau experience? It was good. I, I go to at least one game every year with family. Uh, kind of the same plan every year. We go up, we tailgate, we go to the game, come back, get some pizza, let the traffic clear out, go back. And every year I've gone for the last three or four years, it's been a, just a great game, it seems like. Kind of started with the, um, the opener against the Saints a few seasons back where the, uh, the Packer defense stopped the Saints at the goal line or just ahead of the goal line to, to win the game as time ran out. That's kind of a lot like what happened in this Packers-Chargers game. The hardest thing about watching a game live, well, it's, it's two things, but I think the most difficult thing about it is that you're completely out of touch with, with what is going on everywhere else in the league. Like, you have no clue what happened in the other game. How, how was the Wi-Fi at Lambeau? I haven't been this year. It's not good. I, I tried to connect in the second half, couldn't get on. Uh, of course, the LTE or whatever I was using that wasn't Wi-Fi wasn't working either because... Probably three quarters of the eighty thousand people there were trying to get on it. The other twenty thousand were just mm-hmm. slamming beer, which I appreciate their effort. Or to power to them. Make everything work better with our cell phones by uh, getting extremely drunk. But you know, it was a great experience overall. And, and San Diego, they, the thing that stood out to me the most about watching them play is that they really found a way to neutralize the Packers' pass rush. It seemed like the Packers were uh, trending in the direction of becoming maybe a top ten pass rush in the eyes of many people. And I think. San Diego may have provided a blueprint for other teams to neutralize that a little bit. A lot of short passes, a lot of movement before the line, before the snap. You had receivers or running backs lining up wide like receivers, shifting around a lot. I think just giving that Packers defense a lot of different looks can be can be a way to maybe uh, keep Clay Matthews and company off your quarterback. Right, and the Chargers attempted 65 passes in this game. We're sacked only three times. So I think you, you like that ratio quite a bit. Rodgers was sacked three times on 29 dropbacks. Um, but yeah, like you said, a lot of a lot of short passes in that game, a lot of crossing routes over the middle. It seemed like those, those San Diego receivers were able to get a step on the Green Bay secondary and, and kind of break those off for, for a lot of yards after catch. Wasn't very impressed with the San Diego rushing game uh, in this one, just 60 yards, but they didn't really need it when, when Phillip Rivers passed for 488 yards in this one. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me that San Diego, they, they had a huge day offensively, over 500 yards of total offense, and still only put up 20 points and fell short. Uh, so you, you look at the way that the targets and everything were distributed. I mean, Antonio Gates... 16 targets, a team high, caught nine balls for 95 yards. Keenan Allen uh, seemed to have a, a matchup advantage over Demarius Randall. 15 targets, 14 catches, 157 yards. He got hurt in this one, too, though, so I'm curious to see just how serious that ends up being. Malcolm Floyd had an appearance. I mean, Danny Woodhead was heavily targeted. Melvin Gordon, after the second fumble, you, you knew you weren't going to see him again. He didn't play another snap after that second fumble. I think that's one of the things that really came back to bite San Diego, too, because as this game was winding down, they seemed to think that running Danny Woodhead was their best means of trying to pick up three yards at the end of the game. 
Right, and that was certainly not the case. He finished with seven carries for eight yards, really wasn't able to get anything going at all, got stuffed on that final possession. Um, Demarius Randall ended up making a play on fourth down, breaking up a pass that was intended for Woodhead to end up sealing the game for Green Bay. Uh, but it was just a very weird game. Uh, the last couple of weeks, Green Bay has really kind of had trouble controlling the game as far as time of possession, as far as number of plays. Um, you know, Over the last three weeks, they're 26 in the league in average time of possession. They ran 40 fewer plays than San Diego did in this one, 49 to 89. And obviously that has a lot to do with, with San Diego throwing the ball as much as they were and stopping the clock. Um, but, but still, just a, not really a convincingly... You know, convincing win, I guess, for Green Bay. But you know, when you when you see an opposing quarterback throw for 500 yards and you're still able to get the win, um, I, th- I think that does say quite a bit. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty rare to have that happen. But looking at the Packers' offense right now, I mean, Ty Montgomery got hurt in the first half of this game. That proved to be, I think, that looked very fairly serious too. I don't know what the prognosis is on that, but it didn't look like he could put much, if any, weight on it when he was getting off the field. Yeah, that looked pretty bad. So we'll see if that's just like a severe ankle sprain or something along those lines maybe it's a lot like what Devonte adams has been yeah, dealing he with kind of got folded up when he, when he was tackled on the sideline yeah i think they ruled it a high ankle sprain at first and then they said maybe it has something to do with the knee so we'll probably find out later monday yeah so might be worse than they initially let on but i mean randall cobb was only targeted five times and it's a game where rogers throws it 29 times so you do have to kind of adjust your expectations for everyone but cobb still doesn't look quite right richard rogers has a role but it's a small role james jones if he wouldn't have scored would have been a big disappointment for fantasy owners this week the two for 30 and a score on five targets is good enough but i mean the packers are on bye in week seven they should be healthier coming out of it with Devonte adams potentially back and I, I get the feeling that adams is going to lead this team in targets in the second half of the season unless cobb himself uh, becomes you know 100 healthy again and that to me doesn't seem like a given but the other thing that stood out about the offense we barely saw eddie lacy I mean, James Starks is on the field for the first carry of the game, and I thought, okay, it's just the way they wanted to kind of give a certain look. Lacey came in, and I think he played a dozen snaps maybe. I mean, Yeah, I haven't seen the snap count yet. It's not out uh, on Pro Football Focus, but only four carries, just three yards. He fumbled in the third quarter. Green Bay somehow got it back. It seemed like the ball was on the ground yeah. for three, four seconds. Uh, and San Diego jumped on it, and I think TJ Lang was able to kind of I don't even know what like barrel roll and gra- and somehow grab it out of the the San Diego defender's arms. So, you know, that would have been a huge turning play. At, at that point, San Diego was really just kind of going up and down the field. Keenan Allen was making grabs left and right. He ended up leaving this game as well. Like you said, 14 catches for him. Um might have been on pace for a 20 catch day, honestly, the way that that offense was functioning. Um a couple numbers on Philip Rivers, 65 attempts, the most since Tom Brady in 2012. Most attempts ever in a game is Drew Bledsoe in 1994. He attempted 70 passes. He also holds the record in that same game for completions with 45. So Philip Rivers was right up there. 43 completions on Sunday tied Matt Schaub for the second most ever behind Drew Bledsoe. Um, but it's funny, teams that, that attempt uh, 55 or more passes in a game, I looked up the numbers on this this morning, their record overall is 29-121-1 and one if your quarterback attempts 55 or more passes. Yeah, desperation mode. Right, probably, exactly. And the thing cases. is, you're often playing from behind in, the, in those cases, but that's a little bit surprising. Yeah, well, Ryan Mallett had one of those games earlier this I year. he's had at least one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he has multiple. I'm trying to erase all memories of Ryan Mallett yeah. Uh, yeah. from my mind as quickly as I can. But, 
Yeah, I mean, Rivers looked pretty good. It seemed like the Chargers had a game plan that even without the the run being effective, and so much of it to me is the offensive line, the, there was no push at all. Every single play it seemed like Green Bay was getting more push up front. There were times Melvin Gordon would get a carry. As soon as he'd touch the ball, there'd be somebody hitting him in the backfield or a blocker of his being pushed into his running lane. So I don't think it's a Gordon problem, but he didn't do himself any favors, fumbling twice, losing one. I just have to wonder, what does that mean for his value in the short term? Do you target him right now as a potential buy low in a redraft league? I, I don't think I don't think the Chargers are going to continue to run Danny Woodhead as often as they have through these first six games. I mean, I think they're going to keep using him as a pass catcher out of the backfield because he's effective in that role. But I think they're fast learning, or slowly learning in this case, they're slowly learning that he is not an optimal short yardage back because he doesn't have that power or that quick acceleration. Right, exactly. And Brandon Oliver really wasn't much more effective either. His long run, just six yards in this game. Melvin Gordon, really the only big, big play threat that they have, at least running the ball out of that backfield. Are you concerned at all about this Green Bay offense? I think the last three or four games, they really haven't looked all that great. They've played well enough to win. You know, Rodgers has been effective, but he hasn't really been otherworldly. That touchdown throw to Jones, you know, that was vintage Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the ball was out while Jones wasn't even looking, you know, right on target. Uh, Something we really haven't seen a ton of so far, and I think a lot of that is just because of the injuries in that receiving core. But Green Bay's 19th in the league in third down conversion percentage, 19th in plays per drive. The defense is giving up the most plays per drive in the league. So this Green Bay offense just hasn't been on the field as much as you'd like. Uh, A lot of three and outs. And, and, you know, being on Twitter during the game and just, you know, hearing what people say, it's, you know, how come Aaron Rodgers isn't the guy attempting 50 passes a game? Obviously, when the Packers are playing from, you know, playing with a lead or, or right in the game, you don't want Aaron Rodgers throwing it that many times. It's not a necessity. It's a luxury to be able to run the ball and be able to control the clock a little bit. But at the same time, I think you want Rodgers over 30 attempts per game, just, you know, given the efficiency and given how effective we all know he can be. And, you know, when you look at his numbers this season, 29 attempts, 30 attempts, 32 attempts, he's reached 35 attempts only once on the year. Do you want to see him? Uh, you know, get into the high 30s, low 40s, or are you comfortable if he's only, you know, completing somewhere between 15 and 20 passes a game? I mean, I think given that they're 6-0 and right now, it's it's working for them because the defense has played a lot better overall than it did really in each of the last three seasons now. I think they played so well in that Seattle game in the playoffs right. last year, too. I think people kind of just lose sight so of that just not bring that up. things just went so horribly wrong. But without that long TD run from James Starks, I mean, that was kind of a surprise play, right? Starks ran into John Kuhn's back, essentially, because there was no hole, kicked it outside, and scored a 65-yard TD run. Extremely rare to see the Packers have long running TDs like that. I mean, that probably took away a few attempts from Rodgers because if they just get a first down there, he throws a few more times on that series. And I think part of it, too, is the personnel. Targets are distributed in such a way that Jones, Cobb, Richard Rodgers all had five. Jeff Janis had four. Justin Perillo, who I'd never even heard of prior to seeing him catch a pass yesterday, he was targeted twice. John Kuhn was targeted twice. Ty Montgomery only targeted twice because he left that game early, as we mentioned before. I'm not overly worried because I think teams are going to start to find a way to break down the defense. Like I said, with the, with the bye in Week 7 especially, I think Lacey can get healthy, Devonta Adams can get healthy, maybe Cobb gets healthy too, and the offense starts to resemble, at least in terms of efficiency, uh, the unit we are expecting to be coming into the year. Yeah, I, I think the problem for a lot of people is just 
seeing these wins, you know, it's hard to complain, like you said, about a 6-0 and team. I mean, the Packers have, have been as good as anybody in the NFC to start the year. Um, I just think that I think people think the ceiling is quite a bit higher. You know, when you have Aaron Rodgers and you have these weapons around him, it's it's difficult to understand how they can go three and out on three straight drives like they did at the end of the second quarter and to start the third quarter as well. I mean, nine plays and those three drives for a total of two yards, two two straight drives where they went negative yardage. So I think there's just a lot that can still be refined. I think maybe the expectations with Rodgers are so high that you know it's hard to live up to that. I think he's kind of competing against himself in a lot of ways. Um, but again, going into the buy at six and zero is huge, especially with the matchups they have coming out. They're at Denver and then at Carolina back to back after that week seven buy. Yeah, teams that are currently undefeated at six and zero and five and zero respectively, but also teams that have their shares of flaws. So I mean, I think when you look at the league right now, and this is something we maybe covered last week, is that the Patriots to me are the most complete team. Everybody else is one little notch below them, uh, and that includes the Bengals. I mean, I think the Bengals right now are a better team than the Broncos. I think the Packers-Bengals would be a fantastic matchup right now. Bengals might even have a slight advantage because they have more healthy weapons on offense. And I think Carolina and Denver are more similar, where they're probably the four and five ranked teams. If you're if you're ranked solely on on record, I think if you and that just speaks to how good this Denver defense has been because of how terrible the offense has been. I think going into uh, or midway through the the first quarter, I think after the Akib Talib pick six in that game yesterday, Denver had gone eighteen or nineteen straight drives without an offensive touchdown. Wow, that's and awful. and they're six and zero right now. So, I mean, this is a historically good defense right now, and, and you know if they can keep this up and, and get this team into the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. I still think the Falcons, especially if they're playing at home, are probably better than the Panthers and the Broncos. And I think on a like a neutral yeah. field, I think the Falcons versus the Bengals is close. I know coming off a loss at New Orleans, it's a little harder to see it that way. But that offense, when everyone's healthy, and I think they will have Julio Jones healthy as we move into the second half, I think this longer layoff this week is actually going to help him quite a bit. The fact they're running it so well with Devonta Freeman. Uh, they've got Leonard Hankerson kind of taking over for Roddy White. They've got at least a competent tight end now in Jacob Tammy, and their defense seems to be quite a bit better, too. It's not a great defense, but it's at least a league average one. So I would look at Atlanta as one of those teams that's probably maybe better than a couple of the teams that are undefeated right now. Right, and that, that game on Thursday night may be a little bit misleading. Atlanta lost three fumbles in that game and, and played pretty well everywhere else. You know, Matt Ryan didn't turn the ball over. Or he did turn the ball over on a fumble, excuse me. He didn't throw any interceptions. Uh, but Devontae Freeman, you know, broke 100 yards. They had 150 yards rushing as a team. Matt Ryan approached 300 yards passing. So, you know, I don't know if there's any – there's no such thing as a good loss in the NFL. Uh, but I don't think the Falcons took a huge step back by any means in that Thursday night week six loss. Let's get into now the, the noon games. We'll start in New York. Redskins 20, Jets 34. All of a sudden, the Jets are 4-1 and one and, and looking like one of the more balanced teams, at least in the AFC. They're at New England next week. That's going to be a huge showdown. It's a noon game. But after that, they get Oakland, Jacksonville, Buffalo, Houston, Miami. And I think you like their chances in at least four of those games. Yeah, I think this is a really dangerous team. Seems like they're playing very well with Todd Bowles as their head coach. Defense is still strong, but the offense is legit too. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, as we've learned over time, I guess, is just an ideal game manager. But you give him weapons like Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, and you get a good running game going with Chris Ivory. I mean, this is, this is a dangerous team. I think they're definitely going to be in the playoffs. The schedule for the next five weeks or six weeks is extremely favorable. 
from a fantasy standpoint, I like going after some of their players right now in trades because they've already had their buy. I think that's one little edge you can try to find in trades every now and then where if someone's not valuing a player correctly, especially you make a deal, trade them a guy they like a little better who hasn't had their bye week yet, get Brandon Marshall back in return, you're getting an extra game the rest of the season. That's a pretty nice little move. But only allowing 15 points per game this season through five games. So I, I think this is a really good Jets team. Chris Ivory over 100 yards easily, 146 and a score in this one, leading the league in yards per game for running backs. I mean, who would have thought Chris Ivory, the running back who was a starter going into the year, but always readily available in the mid and late rounds of drafts, that he'd be that guy leading the league in yards per game right now. Yeah, he's, he's been the best running back in fantasy. I mean, Devontae Freeman over the last couple of weeks has uh, certainly mounted his own case. But yeah, I mean, Ivory's been the most consistent guy throughout the year. Um, you know, Todd Bowles has spoke so highly of him. Brandon Marshall called him the best running back in the league. Um, you know, I think he's just, he's just so dependable. He's, he's strong. He's a good mixture of power uh, and, and speed. And he's just going to keep getting the ball in this offense because they don't want to put it in the hands of Fitzpatrick too much. You know, we saw this game just 26 attempts, 19 completions, two touchdowns, had a rush touchdown. Like, this is exactly the game that you want from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Low number of attempts. You know, you'll take the one interception. Um, but, you know, against a team like, like Washington where you're able to make those mistakes, I think that's exactly what they asked. Brandon Marshall, seven catches, 111 yards, one touchdown on nine targets, fourth straight game with 100-plus yards, first Jets receiver since Don Maynard. Uh, I'm not, not sure who that is, uh, in 1968. Um, so quite an accomplishment there. Eric Decker, he got in the end zone again, four catches for 59 yards. Both those guys, both those guys lost fumbles. However, that's kind of been an issue for Brandon Marshall throughout the season. Um, but you know, I think when you're, when you're topping hundred yards in four straight games and getting into the end zone as consistently as he is, uh, you kind of have to take the good with the bad. Speaking of bad, Kirk Cousins, 25 of 43, 196 yards, two picks in this one did have a TD to Pierre Garcon, but Six touchdowns and now eight interceptions on the season for Cousins. Love that because uh, you have RG3 being held hostage on the bench. It's like, how can you say that Kirk Cousins gives you the best chance to win? It's completely absurd. It's a stupid organization. I hate talking about them because they're so incompetent. It's just not even worth our time. But Alfred Morris couldn't get anything going on the ground. I think the Jets' run defense is legitimately good. Through the air, Pierre Garçon scored. Otherwise, there was nothing to write home about here with this Washington offense. No, no, not at all. No Deshaun Jackson, no Matt Jones, you know, devoid of arguably their two biggest big play threats. Um, and just, you know, not a lot to like about that running game at all. Just 34 yards as a team. Alfred Morris, just 21 yards on 11 carries. So a very poor fantasy day uh, for just about everybody in that Washington offense. Maybe the weirdest final result uh, that we saw, maybe the most unexpected final result this week, Cardinals 13, Steelers 25. Mike Vick knocked out early in this game um, with a hamstring issue. In comes Landry Jones. He goes 8 of 12 for 168 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He wasn't sacked. And, you know, over almost half of those yards, just about exactly half, came on an 88-yard touchdown to Martavis Bryant. And Bryant did about 90% of the work on that one, just running by everybody in that Arizona secondary. But I mean, what a letdown from the Cardinals, right? Horrible letdown. I mean, I think it is hard for teams coming from you know, the west part of the country, going to the east coast or near the east coast, at least eastern time zone, and adjusting for that early game. It just seems like it always gives well, teams I fits. Think, I, I believe I read that Arizona stayed on the east coast throughout the week. Oh, no excuse then. Right. They were, well, they were in Detroit last week, and I, I think they went, to, they went to stay at some like resort in, in like West Virginia to practice. 
So, you know, not to get messed up with the time zone change, but apparently that was not the right decision. Um, Carson Palmer, 29 of 45, 421 yards, one touchdown, two picks for him. Uh, a lot of attempts in the second half, obviously, with Arizona playing from behind. John Brown had a huge game, 10 catches, 196 yards. Larry Fitzgerald didn't get in the end zone, but still eight catches, 93 yards. Michael Floyd caught a touchdown from Carson Palmer. Is there a little bit of a QB controversy now, uh, if that's the right word? You know, if Big Ben isn't back next week, uh, and we're really not sure what the case is, it sounds like you know sometime in the next one to two, maybe three weeks at the longest. But if Big Ben is, is ruled out in week seven, would you start Landry Jones over Mike Vick? I was thinking the Steelers might even kick around the idea if Vick didn't get hurt, if he struggled again, and you know, he didn't play all that well. He ran for 47 yards before he left on five carries, but he was three of eight for six yards and got sacked once before Jones took over. So if is not ready, I think the Steelers should give Landry Jones that opportunity. How much does having Martavis Bryant back, though, help this offense? I mean, the six for 137, the two TDs, really quiet game from Antonio Brown. Tough times right now for his owners, but better days should be ahead with Roethlisberger making pretty good uh, progress in his recovery. Arizona's running game couldn't get anything going. Chris Johnson, the starter, the guy, 14 for 40 on the ground. Andre Ellington carried it one time for seven yards, caught two passes for 47 yards. Talk about a guy that's been disappointing now. He got hurt, played really well in week one, and his role has been tiny since returning. I wonder if that's actually going to change at all as we move into the second half. Yeah, I think after a loss like this, there'll be a little bit of a reevaluation period for the Cardinals. And it's just a missed opportunity for them with Seattle losing, dropping to two and four. Um, you know, they really could have been in the driver's seat. Yeah, with a win here moved to five and one um, now still only up two games on Seattle certainly a manageable uh, deficit for the Seahawks this early in the season but uh, we'll get to that Seattle game in a bit Chiefs 10 Vikings 16 maybe the ugliest game of the week this this Kansas City team just continues to free fall it seems like ever since that uh, that Jamal Charles fumble in overtime against Denver it's been all downhill for them Vikings now three and two uh, somewhat surprising in that NFC North. Bridgewater continues to game manage. 17 of 31, 249 yards, a touchdown and two picks. Stephon Diggs showed up big, seven catches, 129 yards for him. Kyle Rudolph caught that only touchdown. Another typical Alex Smith game, 22 of 37, 282 yards, one touchdown, no picks, but just didn't make the plays to get this offense down the field. And without Jamal Charles, they just don't have that that home run threat. Yeah, 14 carries between Niall Davis and Shark Hendrick, Kendrick Lamar West. I don't even know what we should call this guy. It may not matter. He may not be around that long, but... Uh, Adrian Peterson was bottled up by the Chiefs. That's probably the biggest positive for them in this game. 26 carries for 60 yards. That really kind of caught my eye as something that was surprising. Jeremy Macklin was quiet, 3 for 48. Travis Kelsey at least had a decent day, 5 for 88. But it was Albert Wilson who scored uh, for the Chiefs on the receiving end of that Alex Smith touchdown pass. Three catches for 57 yards for Albert Wilson. I mean, after seeing how they distributed the touches in this game, do you feel as though... If you use Sharkandrick West or use your fab budget, I should say, to go get Sharkandrick West, is it wasted money or is Minnesota actually just really good against the run? I think it's wasted money. I mean, nine carries. I, I don't I don't think I wasn't going to throw any fab or, or really make much of an effort on the waiver wire to get either of these guys just because I think this is about the split that we expected. Right. I mean, we, I think people kind of maybe put a little too much stock into the post Jamal Charles carry split. Uh, last week and, and I just don't know if the Kansas I don't know if Kansas City was really prepared to be without Jamal Charles you know they didn't have a game plan in place and I think that was more I don't know if, I don't think it's chance necessarily that that Jarkandrick West ended up with you know a, a 
a much higher uh, number of carries than Niall Davis last week. But I think they were kind of scrambling a little bit once Charles went out. I think that was maybe not something to read into. And, you know, this is probably what we're going to see going forward. I don't think either of these guys are quite good enough to warrant, you know, an 80-20 split or anything like that. It's probably going to be closer to 50-50 or 60-40 going forward. Yeah, I mean, I could see Weston Davis just having to be used in tandem to even handle the workload that Jamal Charles typically has. I mean, he's just such a special player that you don't have – a ready-made replacement for a guy like that on any roster. Uh, in the past, I mean, Davis has looked okay when getting opportunities behind Jamal Charles, but how often was he running up against tired defenses because Charles broke them down first? I mean, there's a lot of questions there in Kansas City. They're now at 1-5. and five. Uh, Could be maybe another uh, off-season off of unemployment for Andy Reid if things don't turn around soon. It could be an off-season of unemployment for Alex Smith, too. There's, I think there's already been the uh, Jared Goff to Kansas City talk rising already wow. and I, it, I'm not sold on him by any means uh, at this point but something has to change in Kansas City right I mean when this was a very good team we thought going into the season you know they, they pull off a win in week one and, and like we said it's been a free fall ever since but I mean at what point do you kind of have to pull the plug on the conservative quarterback and you know the ceiling with with a guy like Alex Smith is probably a wild card berth and and you know maybe 10 wins and I, I Maybe if they're comfortable with that, they, they keep they keep going in that direction. But I think at some point you kind of have to to lower your or to raise your expectation, I should say, at the quarterback position. Yeah, I want to see Chase Daniel play. Like that <laughs> that's that's what I really really want to see here. I don't think anyone wants to see that. Oh come on, Every, everyone wants to see Chase Daniel. If they, okay, if they get to like one and eight, maybe. What do you have to lose? Well, you're right. What, what do you have to lose? I just don't know if it, it's not like they have a high upside guy on the bench. You know, like. They well, kn- we know what Chase Daniel is at this point, don't we? Have we really seen him play in the NFL, though? And, and the thing about it, too, is that Andy Reid does still have that reputation of being a pretty good coach for quarterbacks. Now, if he were that good, he'd probably be making Alex Smith look a little better. So, Well, Smith's not playing that bad, either. That's the thing. He's just playing so average and so conservative. playing like Alex Smith. Right. He's not giving any games away, but he's not winning any games. Right, which it's a tough spot to be in if you're just below that line of, of – like having a quarterback capable of winning a game. He, he's not one of those guys. Well, that's the thing. And, but he, he's capable of managing a game well enough to allow the team to win. And you know, when you're making your decision this offseason or whenever they, they reevaluate the quarterback position, you take that risk of, you know, do we, do we take a chance on somebody who can lead us uh, you know, to a win single-handedly at the quarterback position? At the same time, you have to look at the risk of, we could do a lot worse than Alex Smith. Um, you know, and if we choose to go in another direction at the position, there's the risk of you know finding a guy who's going to lose you games as opposed to just managing them like Alex Smith does. So a lot of question marks in Kansas City, and, and what's been a very disappointing season. I don't really see them turning this around uh, at all, especially without Jamal Charles. Yeah, that's that's definitely the problem. I mean, like they un- unless Sharkandrick West and Niall Davis somehow in tandem. <laughs> proved just, to us no. that this was a fluke i, I think they're they're dead i, mean, I, I think they're i think they are they are dead in the water this might this might be a four or five win campaign for them when it's all said and done Bengals 34 bills 21 the Bengals continue uh their assault on, on pretty much everybody in the league at this point bills hung on in the th- until the third quarter they were outscored 14 to 0 in that period ej Manuel actually played pretty well no tyrod taylor of course this week for buffalo 28 of 42 263 yards a uh, passing touchdown to Sammy Watkins. He had four catches for 48 yards on that TD. Manuel did throw a pick, but he also had a rush TD as well. So, you know, if you took a chance on EJ Manuel, maybe in daily, that probably paid off uh, relative to expectations. Andy Dalton, another big day, 
22 of 33, 243 yards, three touchdowns and no picks. He's now at 14 touchdowns and just two interceptions on the season. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive. I, I didn't see a step like this coming. I'm trying to figure out what he regresses back to because the level he's playing at right now isn't sustainable for anyone. I mean, it's it's not, not. It's not a knock on Andy Dalton. It's just a level. He's, he's had a, a six-game stretch that's outstanding. I mean, it, it's if you look back at the careers of guys like Aaron Rodgers and Brady, Peyton Manning, Breeze, you'll find stretches where they've played like this, and it's just crazy that Dalton's been able to do that. The weapons around him, as we mentioned a little earlier, they're fantastic. I mean, A.J. Green is a legitimate top wideout. Marvin Jones being healthy, along with Tyler Eifert this year, makes them very dangerous in the passing game. They still have Jeremy Hill and Gio Bernard, both scored this week. It seems like that timeshare is just working really well. It is, right. Jeremy Hill, 56 rushing yards, but he had a reception TD. Gio Bernard, 50 rushing yards, and then he had a rushing TD. So I think both these guys are kind of buying into the split. Um, you know, I think it might be more of a healthy competition than anything else where you know both guys are being productive, both guys are being used uh, to their skill sets within this offense. And like you said, they're just humming along. And so many weapons on the edge, two very good running backs, arguably a top three tight end right now, and Tyler Eifert, uh, who scored again in this one, just four catches for 30 yards, but you know, kind of saved fantasy only with that touchdown a lot to like about this Bengals team they head into the bye now at 6-0 first time they're 6-0 since 1988 pretty amazing uh, the Boomer Esiason era are both backs would you say both Jeremy Hill and Gio Bernard are turnt right now is that the proper usage uh, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to to offer the proper usage of that term but I think at least in this game they are both turned I think it's, it's it's great to see them just scoring in a variety of ways. You know, Jeremy Hill gets in uh, through the air. Gio Bernard gets in with a rush. And I just think they can. this offense can hurt you in so many ways right now. And I think everyone thinks the, the Dalton crash is coming eventually. And it very well might be. Um, but right now, I mean, I think he's as good a candidate as Brady or Rodgers uh, for the MVP. I mean, if you, had to rank, if you had to rank your MVP candidates through six weeks, I think you go these three guys and maybe Devontae Freeman just based on what he's meant to that Atlanta offense. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think Dalton would be in serious consideration for, for that kind of hardware right now, which is just <laughs> miles away from where he was at the end of last season, as Bengals fans mm-hmm. can attest. Right. Um, not much to talk about really on the Bills end of this one. Like we said, Sammy Watkins uh, coming back from injury, he gets in the end zone, but still just kind of a disappointing season for him. He hasn't been that dominant uh, you know, target vacuum that, that a lot of people thought he would. LaShawn McCoy, 17 carries, 90 yards and a touchdown for him. He looked really good in this one. Uh, but again, not, not a whole lot else to touch on with the Bills as they now head to London for a showdown uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars next Sunday. Very much looking forward to that one. You looking forward to streaming that game online because it's not going to yeah, be on TV? Yeah, I'm just trying to decide if I, like, do I really want to get up at 9.30 to watch that? Maybe. 9.30 is not even that early. Come on. Uh, it's pretty early. Texans 31, those Jacksonville Jaguars 20. Jags really went full Jags this weekend. Blake Bortles, this is the, the typical game from Blake Bortles at this point. High volume, 30 for 53. Nice yardage total, 331 yards. Nice touchdown total, three touchdowns, and then the three interceptions. Continues to rack up those touchdowns, also continues to make puzzling slash horrendous decisions through a terrible, terrible pick just before the half. The Jaguars were deep in Texans territory, at least had a field goal, uh, you know, almost a gimme field goal at that point. They were within the 10-yard line. Bortles throws a really bad pick. Um, through an even worse pick six midway through the fourth quarter. Jacksonville was still in the game. It was a 10-point game at that point, and just 
I mean, he had a five yard out to Julius Thomas and just wildly overthrew it. Easy pick six the other way uh, for Andre. Is it Hal? Sure, sure. Andre Howe basically caught the ball and immediately started celebrating. He went into the high step for like 30 yards down the field, and, and Bortles didn't even chase after him. Uh, and the, the best part of that was the the telecast that I was watching. It just immediately panned to the stands, and like droves of Jaguars fans were, were leaving the stadium. <laughs> there's, there's like eight minutes left in the game at this point, and what was you know the game was basically over if you know this Jaguars team, but. Just, just not a great scene at the bank on uh, on Sunday. But again, a nice fantasy day if you're rostering these Jaguars receivers. Brian Walters led the way, eight catches, 87 yards. Allen Robinson got in the end zone; he had six catches for 86 yards. Julius Thomas finally broke out, seven catches, 78 yards, and a score for him. And then Allen Hearns, who was quiet all day, uh, scored a late touchdown, so kind of salvaging his fantasy day. Uh, but no, no real ground game for Jacksonville in this one. And you know, they were playing from behind for two and a half quarters, and that was part of the issue. But TJ Yeldon sat out. Blake Bortles was actually the leading rusher with 37 yards on four carries. Tobimbo, Gunnar Gerhardt, nine carries, 26 yards. That's about what you expect from him. And Denard Robinson, seven carries for 19 yards in his first game back from the knee injury. So a very a, a lack of balance, I guess, from this Jacksonville offense. I don't know what I was expecting. Uh, this seems about right. Uh, but this is not a good Houston team, and this is just another bad loss for Gus Bradley. No, but he, Brian Hoyer, I mean, much better than Ryan Mallett, at least for the purposes of making this offense go. Uh, Arian Foster actually was held in check on the ground, 53 yards on 18 carries, but he caught five balls for 59 yards and, and scored uh, on a reception. So that really gave him a, a nice day overall, both in PPR and non-PPR formats. But DeAndre Hopkins, how does he keep doing this? 10 for 148, two TDs, 15 he's, targets. He's a legitimate top 10 receiver and a very, very legitimate number one. Might be a top five guy right now. I mean, yeah. if you... The Antonio Brown owner out healthy. there wouldn't wouldn't give you would not I should say the DeAndre Hopkins owner out there would not accept Antonio Brown for him right now because of the uncertainty with Ben Roethlisberger's health. If we knew Roethlisberger was going to play the rest of the season, maybe you get an even up trade there. And then if, if you did, I mean, who would you actually prefer? If you knew Roethlisberger was going to play the rest of the season, all things being equal, otherwise Hopkins versus Antonio Brown is actually like a legitimate, which is crazy considering this team doesn't have a quarterback. <laughs> Brian Hoyer, not a person. No, I mean, but I mean, they're going back and forth between Mallet, you know, I mean, between Mallet and Hoyer and Hopkins is it doesn't really matter who's back there. I mean, he's still just putting up these crazy target numbers, these crazy receptions numbers. Like you said, 148 yards, got in the end zone twice in this one. And I mean, he's kind of been a godsend and what's really saved this Texans offense. But Hoyer looked pretty good. Uh, I think this was maybe more the Jacksonville D uh, than Hoyer himself. But 24-36, just under 300 yards, three touchdowns, and then the big one, no interceptions. So that's basically what you have to do to beat the Jaguars is not turn it over well a huge revenge game for Cecil Shorts as well Ugh. four catches 63 yards on six targets emotions were running high I'm sure I have to imagine a lot of the Jacksonville faithful were just uh, feeling a, a torn heart throughout this game watching Cecil Shorts in confirm. Houston's uniform but Brian who's Brian Walters anyway you mentioned him with the eight for 87 on 12 targets they're t- Add that to the list of, of play like like Perillo from the Packers. Never heard of Brian Walters prior to looking at this box score. Right, he was a, he was with the Seahawks last season. Um, didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, came into this year with nine career catches. Uh, he's a Cornell grad. That's all. That's all I know about him. And I am reading this directly from his ESPN bio page. So yeah, it's a very good question. Probably not worth a pickup at all. I mean, you know, anytime you see kind of a standout 
line like that or a guy you've never heard of. I think Chuck Hendrick West, for example, last week, you know, the the impulse maybe is to, to take a look at him in fab or on, on waivers, but I don't think it's really worth a look. I think this is probably a one-time thing uh, for Brian Walters, just given the weapons. I don't think Alan Hearns is going to have another two-catch game uh, the way he's been performing this season. Bears 34, the Detroit Lions 37. They finally get in the win column. Just a very bizarre, shockingly high-scoring game, uh, I guess. Bears were down 34-31 with 20 seconds left, beginning, beginning a drive from their own 20-yard line. And Cutler to Alshon Jeffrey, 25 yards. Cutler to Alshon Jeffrey, 24 yards. Marcus Wilson draws pass interference on Darius Slay. And 10 seconds later, they're lining up for a game-tying field goal. Robbie Gold puts it in. Second straight week, he's been able to do that. Jay Cutler looked pretty decent in this one, 26 of 41, a touchdown and a pick, 353 yards. Alshon Jeffrey is really, really good. And I think people maybe kind of forgot that while he was on the shelf for a few weeks, but eight catches, 147 yards, and a touchdown for him. Just just a guy that's such a big target and really catches anything that comes his way. Yeah, and I think other than Martellus Bennett, they don't really have anyone they want to throw to in volume. I think Marcus Wilson actually is playing pretty well right now, but he's clearly the third option for Jay Cutler with uh, both Jeffrey and Bennett healthy uh, i was listening to this game on the radio while i was tailgating and i here's the thing I, I as a packer fan i obviously don't like the bears or the vikings i, I find that I, i'm annoyed more by the vikings and vikings fans and i'm not sure why that is maybe it's just because i haven't gone to a packers bears game at soldier field i guess i haven't been to a packers vikings game in minnesota though either so i don't know what it is about the minnesota rivalry you still harboring some, some brett Favre feelings you know maybe it's that um yeah, that, that's a, that's kind of an. I gotta I gotta talk to my therapist about that. Um, but looking at this game or listening to this game, I should say it was it was just kind of sad to me that you know the Bears uh, their their play by play guys are pretty good. I don't know if you ever listened to the Bears guys; they're pretty solid. I can't think of their names off the top of my head, but they've been doing it for several years. They have to convey to their fans that there is hope with Jay Cutler playing quarterback, and frankly. Like that is a really difficult job to do, and they do it extremely well. And when he disappoints them, they find a way to keep it together. They don't have a complete meltdown most of the time. And I got to give them a lot of credit for that because I don't think I could handle that level of disappointment every Sunday. And I, I love Jay for different reasons. I mean, I, I love Jay for the smoking Jay purposes, but. Bottom line is, like this is a guy that will constantly be a source of angst for the fan base, even though their offense certainly looks a lot more competent now that Elshon Jeffrey is healthy. Right. I think if you polled Packers fans, you know, asking who are your favorite players, you know, Rogers, Nelson, Lacey, and like number four or five is probably Jay Cutler, just because of what he's meant to, <laughs> what he's meant in that in the head-to-head matchups, first of all, and just kind of what he's what he's symbolized since coming to Chicago and, and how incompetent that offense has looked so often. But I think this is what we've been, well, something we've been talking about the last couple weeks is this Detroit team wasn't your typical 0-5 team. You know, this isn't really maybe as bad of a loss as it looks like for Chicago. I mean, with the weapons in this Detroit offense, I think it was, you know, they were hampered by coaching. They were hampered by some injuries, a lot of turnover issues. Um, but they finally put it together at least a little bit this week. Stafford, 27 completions, 405 yards, four touchdowns and a pick. Calvin Johnson finally shows up, six catches for 166 yards. I think 57 of them came late in this game in the overtime period, uh, made a long catch, basically a, a heave by Matthew Stafford downfield, 
Calvin Johnson does what Calvin Johnson does, gets in front of it and makes the catch. That got them into field goal range for what was a chip shot to win the game. But before that, if Calvin Johnson doesn't catch that ball, this, this game very well might have ended in a tie. And that's what we need. We need more football games to end in ties, really, because mm-hmm. you watch 15 minutes of overtime with no scoring. That's, that's exactly what you want. Are you worried about Amir Abdullah? If you're an owner of his, he fumbled again in this game. Detroit recovered. Last week he fumbled, and, and, and uh, Detroit was able to recover again, but it, had, it was a play that was reviewed. Just He seems to be a huge liability, and this was a, the major knock on him coming out in Nebraska, but those fumble issues really haven't been remedied at all at the next level, and that's really not too surprising. I mean, Joyke Bell was inactive for this game, so I think they didn't really necessarily have alternatives they felt great about, but Theoretic got seven carries, which is kind of rare. Usually he's only involved as a pass catcher, so I'm concerned about Abdullah. I think Zach Zenner could be a threat to chew into the workload a little bit too. Really curious to see what the Lions do as a result of Abdullah's inability to protect the ball. Right, and it's a similar situation to Melvin Gordon uh, in San Diego, and I mean, obviously for a rookie running back, uh, they tend to be a little bit more prone to fumbles, but definitely not an encouraging start uh, for a team that already turns the ball over a ton. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in Week 7. DraftKings will be hosting yet another Millionaire Maker event. This time, $1.2 million goes to first place. If you go to DraftKings.com now, enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. You can play free with your first deposit on DraftKings. Again, that promo code is ROTOWIRE for a free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. So it's not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, a couple more early games uh, before we get into the late games. Broncos 26, Browns 23. This I, I said earlier that the, the Minnesota KC game might have been the ugliest of the day, but I think I'm going to retract that and, and go with the Broncos. Josh McCown. 20 for 39, 213 yards, had two touchdowns, and then one of the worst interceptions that you could imagine. I don't know if you've seen the highlight of this one. Just toward, just under a minute left in the fourth quarter, it was chased out of the pocket by that, as my phone falls out of my pocket, uh, my phone is chased out of my pocket by that Denver defense and just, just spun around and whipped it downfield. And, and of course it was picked off. Uh, and luckily for the Browns, Denver didn't have quite enough time to get down uh, and get into field goal range, sending it to overtime. Manning threw a pick in overtime. He had three picks in this game, and what was just a gross game from him. This is this is kind of rock bottom, I think, for Peyton Manning at this point. Denver, of course, though, still moves to 6-0, and but the cries for, for Brock Osweiler got a little bit loud there toward the end of the fourth quarter and into overtime. Yeah, I think you're going to hear that a little bit because for some reason— you, you you want to get rid of one of the worst quarter? This is this is crazy. It's one of the it's one of the most disappointing seasons I've ever seen from a Hall of Fame player. Like that's that's the way I, that's the way I'm looking at Peyton Manning right now. Like, but at the same time, you still have this hope. At least I have this hope that he can figure out a way to get used to the player he is now and and just be good enough. I mean, a big part of the 290 yards he had was Emmanuel Sanders just running past everybody on that long TD catch. It wasn't it wasn't as though Manning actually dinked and dunked his way to 290 yards. He threw for more like 215, and Emmanuel Sanders really helped him out. It's amazing that they're 6-0 and because it's really mostly the defense. I mean, son of bums, defense is so good it just flushed your phone out of your pocket, and that's really impressive to me right. Akib, Akib Tlaib just picked it up and ran it back to my desk yeah it's Akib Tlaib is everywhere I mean like that's that is that is my nightmare really is that Akib Tlaib would be everywhere this Broncos team feels like they're still going to win the division even though 
they have all the makings of being a team that loses its first playoff game. Like that's oh absolutely, that, that's but just they the don't. They have they don't have any competition in the AFC West right now. San Diego's got two wins. Kansas City has one win. The Raiders are the Raiders. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they you can almost lock them in as a playoff team right now. Um, they get they go into their bye this week, as does Green Bay, as does Cincinnati. Coming out of that bye, it's Green Bay at Denver. How do you see that game playing out? Healthy Packers offense, I think, is good enough to overcome that defense. Probably going to be a pretty tight game, though. We're talking like 20-17, to 17, something along those lines. But I think the Packers actually do come out on top in that one. They, the, the improvement in the Green Bay defense is enough to really give Denver some fits because Denver has some pass protection issues. Ryan Clady being down again this year was a big loss for them. The other thing about this game, though, that is maybe a somewhat encouraging sign, at least, is that the Broncos finally ran it i know the browns have been horrendous against the run all season long but getting 111 on 20 carries from ronnie hillman maybe there's a change there maybe hillman is going to be the new starter in denver at the running back position yeah that's very possible and cj anderson really falling off a guy who is going so highly in drafts uh you know early in the season just kind of seems to have lost that job right now to ronnie hillman especially after a game like this for a team that struggled like you said to run the ball is there any chance whatsoever that they would consider making a change at the quarterback position? No, I don't think so either. No, no there's, there's. I no think the way. like Peyton Manning like lifetime achievement award. I think kind of keeps him out of any unless he completely, completely implodes. And I'm talking like lo- is is physically losing them ga- losing them games. I I don't know how many games they would have to lose to even consider that because they're six and zero, like we said. And as long as that keeps up, you really have no real reason to replace him. If he went through a three-game stretch where he threw four picks in every game and they lost all three games, maybe then. What if he threw like two picks in every game and they lost all three? I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily more of a win-loss thing or a his individual performance. I think as long as they win games and are in games, they're fine going forward with this. I think even if he if he throws a couple picks and they lose three in a row, they're still going to keep him as their quarterback. Like it, it, it would just take. A combination of both like his performance and right. team outcome to significantly change their plans and well and the other thing is they don't really have you know the the guy in place that they want to you know to, to come in behind him. brock oslier is, is somewhat of a high upside guy uh but he's just so unproven and this team is good enough you know on paper at least to to get to the playoffs and maybe make something happen you know, once you get in anything can happen um but you know brock oslier has only attempted 30 passes in his entire nfl career you know if they had maybe a different backup a guy you know more experienced backup um you know, matt castle for example if he's the backup do you think they would maybe consider making the change like partially you know the fact that brock osweiler is so inexperienced and and maybe isn't that much better of an option than peyton manning probably has a lot to do with it but i think overall it's just peyton manning is peyton manning and you, you just you can't replace him it would have had to have been a situation like the one in Green Bay a decade ago where you have your next quarterback on the roster. And I just don't know if the Broncos are convinced that Brock Osweiler is that guy. I think that's the problem. Right, And and making a midseason switch is fairly unprecedented for a team that's doing as well as they are. And I I think the Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick uh, switch, you know, what was that, 2012 uh, when that happened? I think that's really the only example of that. But Alex Smith was probably playing better football than Peyton Manning was at that point. But I just think Peyton Manning's legacy has kind of earned him the right to to remain the starting quarterback for this team and maybe we'll look ridiculous in a couple of weeks even suggesting this i mean look at look at what the the conversations what was it week four or five last last season uh when the patriots lost to the chiefs i think it was yeah, people a, thought a, brady a big was money night. and people are suggesting you know it's maybe it's time for garoppolo as brady should you know kind of take a step back and 
Yeah, that just seems absolutely ridiculous at this point because I mean Brady's probably the if you if the season ended now Brady's probably your MVP. Yeah, I think you could definitely be right about that. Now, as the Browns go, I mean, mentioned Josh McCown throwing the ugly pick. Gary Barnage scored twice, so is he the best player in the NFL? Probably. I, I mean, he, 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 maybe he's the MVP. I mean, like that's <laughs> that's probably the, the real solution. I mean, this is we talked about at the beginning of the season how shallow the tight end uh, position is this year. You know, it was kind of Gronk and Graham and everybody else, and you know, Graham's been a disappointment. But guys like uh, Travis Kelsey, you know, Julius Thomas now coming on for the Jaguars, Gary Barnage, uh, Tyler Eifert kind of breaking out as well. And all of a sudden, the tight end position is maybe a little bit deeper than we thought overall. Even before he got hurt, I think Eric Ebron was playing pretty right, well too. He was. So there have been a handful of guys that really stepped up this year at the position. Barnage certainly Gary Barnage. among them. Look at the Browns' backfield: Duke Johnson nine for thirty-eight as Isaiah Crowell, 11 for 32. Robert Turbin, 10 for 27. Make a decision, Mike Pettin. Pick a guy and give him 20 carries and see what happens. That's, that's all I ask. Right. You're just not giving any of these guys enough of a chance to kind of integrate themselves into the offense. You look, the long run on the day was 12 yards. Um, you just you got to pick a guy. And unless you have a Gio Bernard, Jeremy Hill situation where you have two very good running backs, um, you just got to pick one. And I don't think any of these guys – you know, are, are world beaters by any means. But, I mean, if you had to choose one, probably Duke Johnson, right, just based on the upside? Yeah, I, I like that he catches a lot of passes, right. too. I just think that he's the most dynamic of those players. But that they somehow found a way to get Robert Turbin 10 carries suggests that Mike Pettin and his staff are just completely unsure as to what exactly they want to do in that facet of the game. Yep. Very typical Cleveland Browns type of game. Um, hanging in there, losing in overtime, making puzzling decisions um dolphins 38 titans 10 the final early game from sunday dolphins looking very undolphin like in dan campbell's first game at the helm coming off that bye week after that big loss in london that, that obviously resulted in the firing of joe philbin ryan Tannehill easily his best game of the season 22 of 29 266 yards a couple touchdowns did have two picks though Deion sims and jordan cameron Two more tight ends uh, were on the receiving end of those touchdowns. Rashard Matthews led the Dolphins in receiving yards, six catches for 85. Lamar Miller finally getting on the board. A lot of people, I think, had kind of cut bait with him after such a disappointing start. 19 carries, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Hadn't topped 50 yards since week one, so his previous high in the year was just 53 yards. Yeah, I've owned him in the Stopa Law Firm League all season. He's been in my lineup every week, so I keep waiting for him to get more carries, and it seems like... The coaching change matchup here against the Titans certainly helped too. He maybe is going to be the player we thought he could be coming into the year. I mean, this is a player that's been hovering around five yards per carry for his NFL career. It's a short list of guys that can do that over multiple years. So it's kind of interesting to me too that Dan Campbell, former tight end, has Deion Sims and Jordan Cameron both scoring in his coaching debut. So it could be good things, especially for Cameron going the rest of the way. It could be a guy that moves up into that 8 to 10 range among tight ends the rest of the way. You think they're just going to pound the tight ends the rest of the way now? He's got I that mean, tight end bias. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rare, right? How many how many head coaches are? Well, actually, more more than you think, I guess, are are former tight ends. I mean, like Mike Ditka was a classic. You know, yep. Never watched him play, obviously, mm-hmm. not quite that old, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The Dolphins look totally different, and uh, Marcus Mariota got hurt in this one, so we'll see if that turns out. A controversial out to play too. Got hit pretty low. Yeah. Uh, by Miami's Olivier Vernon, got knocked out of that game. Like you said, he's going to have an MRI on Monday. Doesn't sound like they're too worried about it being serious, but could be a ligament issue. So we'll find out there. Dexter McCluster, who I uh, unfortunately had to roster in the Rotowire League this week. I started at running back Toby Gerhart. 
and Dexter McCluster. And that actually worked out all right because McCluster did, did tack on a receiving touchdown. He exceeded his projection at least, uh, did have five carries for 23 yards, which somehow led the Titans in this game. And I was a little bit worried, uh, given my, my Vegas uh, bet that we made back in July. Uh, I took the under on six wins for the Titans. And you know, after that, that week one win over Tampa Bay when Mariota looked so good <laughs> um, and, with, and with as bad as the Dolphins have looked lately, I, I was kind of worried they might tack on another one. But I'm feeling pretty comfortable now going forward that they stay under six for the season. Did you put like 10000 on that? uh close i put 20 bucks on 20 it bucks. so i think i think i put 20 to win like 38 yeah or something. yeah right so, yeah you gotta pay the yeah, high rollers only um hey, that's that's like it's like one extra drink in vegas though exactly yeah that's what it's gonna that's what it's gonna be i think i'm just gonna go i'm not gonna be able to cash it in until this upcoming summer so well if if we go back to ellis island i shouldn't even say if when when yeah, we go back to Ellis I don't know Island, what means. the uh, the tall you know tall Hefweizens, the, the homebrew, uh, I think they sell it for what two dollars or two fifty for a twenty two ounce. So I think they just hand them out to you if you're at the blackjack table. Well, yeah, so you can play blackjack longer and try to get your Hefweizens that way, or you can just yeah. Sit I'm going to see maybe if I can turn in my if I can turn in my betting ticket and just get it in Ellis Island chips instead of cash. I think you should ask the people at the Cosmopolitan <laughs> if they can do that for you. I think that's a, that's a fantastic request. <laughs> All right, Panthers twenty seven, Seahawks twenty. 23. I'm in a pick'em league with about 30 guys, and only one person took Carolina in this game, and, and I was not that person. I'm very surprised that Seattle now drops to two and four. Carolina now moves to five and zero. Oh. Are the Panthers for real? Or are the Seahawks just not that good? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think the Panthers. The issue I have with them is they really don't have quality pass catchers beyond their tight end. Greg Olson, you know, Ted Ginn to me is just a filler. Should be like a fourth or fifth receiver, return specialist, and. They use him kind of as the number one. It's like, I want to see more from Devin Funches. I want to see them find a way to get people open away from Olsen. And I think their whole thing, too, though, is their offensive line. Can their offensive line be good enough to run it effectively with Jonathan Stewart? This was a better game from him. 78 yards on 20 carries and a couple TDs. It's actually pretty good against that Seattle run defense. That's the question. Can they protect Cam Newton and can they open up running lanes for Jonathan Stewart? If they do that, the passing game becomes less important and they can try to play good defense and just keep games close. Right. I was very surprised how this game ended, too. I mean, Cam Newton was able to lead a pretty incredible drive in, I think, under a minute or two, just marching down the field and then a long touchdown, uh, 20 plus yards to Greg Olson right over the middle. And, you know, Seattle's calling card has been its defense and just a very uncharacteristic blown coverage. It looked like Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor got mixed up. Olsen ran right by him and was wide open in the end zone for what ended up being the game-winning score. Panthers are 5-0 and for the first time since 2003. Shout-out Jake Jalome. Shout-out Mushin Muhammad. Oh, yeah, Mushin Muhammad. That was the year they went to the Super Bowl. Um, and I think maybe that team was probably a little bit more well-rounded um, you know, as far as the weapons on the edge. But Cam Newton's probably a better player than Jake Delhomme. Am I comfortable saying that? Um, I don't, I'm is not. Su- I'm certainly not. Su- <laughs> I think he is. I'm certainly not suggesting um, you know that this Panthers team is Super Bowl bound at this point. But I think this is the win that people were looking for out of them because of how weak that early season schedule was. It really wasn't a surprise to see them jump out to four and zero. But you know, with real competition in front of them in, in the Seahawks, they were able to respond and especially impressive since it's on the road. Yeah, I, I thought Carolina would get exposed. I thought Seattle would win this game probably by. I don't know, 10? I, I thought they win pretty easily. And it looked like it was going to be that things. way for a while. I mean, Seattle was in control for most of this game. and never really was able to build a big lead. But I don't think anyone really felt that Carolina was going to win this game until they started marching down the field on that final drive. Um, like I said, that Seahawks-blown coverage just, 
I don't know what's going on with this team. They're they're not they're better than two and four, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, this is a week where they got Jimmy Graham going, so that's encouraging. Right. Eight for one forty. At least that's going in the right direction. I mean, Russell Wilson. The offensive line hasn't been that good. I mean, Marshawn Lynch got bottled up pretty well. In this the offensive one. line has been terrible. And Wilson yeah. leads the league in time sacked by quite a bit, I think by two or three at this point through six weeks. And especially considering how mobile he is, I think you got to yeah. wonder, like if they, if they didn't have a mobile quarterback, like would they have 30 sacks already on the season? It would be a, a David Carr right. early expansion era Texans sort of total. <laughs> Approaching 60 sacks in the season. I mean, you, you look at those numbers back in, in the David Carr era and you're thinking – is it safe for him to keep playing? Like, is this is this bad? Like, do we need to protect him somehow? I mean, yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of Seattle at this point. I mean, I think they can fix some of the offensive line issues, but they've really dug themselves into quite the hole now at 2-4. and four. Yeah, yeah, they certainly have. And, you know, like we said, that, that Arizona's surprising loss to Pittsburgh is big as far as Seattle climbing back into that NFC West race. But I think the Cardinals are still the very clear team to beat in that division right now. Did you see the... The flea flicker, I guess, I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, but the trick play that Seattle scored on in this game, they, they kind of ran that uh, the read option to, to Marshawn Lynch. He ran off tackle and then kind of stepped back and swung it back to, to Russell Wilson across the field and just launched it into, into coverage. And, and Ricardo Lockett just went right over a defender uh, to make what probably should have been an interception uh, into a touchdown catch. So that was probably the most exciting play of the game, but you know Seattle just played really conservative in this one. They pounded Marshawn Lynch. He had 54 yards on 17 carries. Russell Wilson just 18 of 30, a pretty quiet game from him overall. And this team just doesn't look to be quite the, the dominant force on both ends that it was the previous two seasons. Well, I'm going to try to watch the the highlight of the play you just described, but I have to get through this 30 second trailer for the Steve Jobs movie first. Okay, did they not already make a Steve Jobs movie like yeah. a year ago? <laughs> Ashton just, Kutcher just, plays Steve Jobs. Right, people were just like. This one wasn't good enough. We need to redo it. We screwed up. Ashton Kutcher can't play Steve Jobs. <laughs> this is a pretty impressive play, though, finally. And, and right. that movie does look like a better version of the Steve Jobs movie. Right. For That's what the it's real takeaway here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no stake in this, but it, it's actually a movie I might go see. And I don't, I don't go to movies very often. I don't, really, I don't do movies either. I don't, I don't really you enjoy know I don't the watch, experience. I don't watch movies. You, you're one of the very few people I know who watch fewer movies than I do. Yeah, I get that quite a bit. I'm kind I mean, of notorious it, for not watching movies. People are, are talking about like the classics, and I, I haven't seen Shawshank yet. I've been borrowing it from one of our tech guys for four years, and I haven't four years. I haven't I haven't taken the time. Thousands of days have passed. Thousands of days have passed, and I, I know it's going to be great. I know it, it is it, great. It's on TV all the time. Everyone loves the movie. Yeah, and yet I haven't at some point said, you know what? I'm going to take two and a half hours, but to pop some popcorn. And I'm going to watch this movie. And I don't know why I haven't done that. Hopefully, by the end of this month. Actually, you know what? If I don't watch it before my flight to Phoenix in the first week of November, I'll watch it on the flight. That, that, that will be... That's a good compromise. That'll be the way to like pass the entire flight. Right. right. I'm not really in a position to talk about any movies, um, as most of my friends could attest. But that, that is definitely a good one. Um, Ravens 20. 49ers 25, not a whole lot to say about this game. Two pretty bad teams. This Ravens team, just like the Chiefs, continues to free fall. Kaepernick actually played very well in this one. 16 of 27, 340 yards, two touchdowns, and then the big one, no interceptions. Joe Flacco gets over 50 attempts, 33 of 53, two touchdowns, two picks. One of those, a very puzzling, very McCown-esque. Uh, it was kind of chased out, back foot, just, just launched it downfield right into the hands 
uh, of a 49ers defender. Carlos Hyde, 55 yards on 21 carries. Steve Smith Sr. comes back. He has fractured vertebrae. That did not stop him from catching seven balls, 137 yards, and of course, a touchdown for him. So a guy that we, you and I, have been harping on since week one is He's the best option in this and really the only option in this in this Baltimore passing game and he continues to to produce regardless of his age. I can't believe he was this good coming off that injury. I just would have thought if he played he would have seen half as many targets, would have had half the yardage and would have had a difficult time even finding the end zone, but I mean, Kamar Aiken got eight targets, only turned that into three uh, catches for 22 yards. A little surprise there. He did score, so that kind of made him useful where he was started, but holy cow, Steve Smith no question the toughest player in the league i think pound for pound at least right. after toby gerhardt i think that's pretty clear <laughs> it would take steve smith 12 seconds to knock knock out toby gerhardt in a fight 12 seconds can we set this up i, I wish we, i wish we could <laughs> i don't think the uh, the ravens are on the jag schedule this year but um and yeah with steve smith retiring maybe he'll have a little more time to set up fights <laughs> with current nfl running back <laughs> ufc ufc steve smith would be amazing I mean, he'd he'd be lethal in the octagon. You got to wonder what is he going to do post retirement. I mean, guys like that have options. You know, he's personable. He's passionate about you know just about everything. I could see him on a pregame show. I think he does some media work already for like NFL Network Radio on, okay. on Sirius XM or something. I saw some promo about it, so I would, I would imagine he ends up in a situation like that. But man, like that that is that is you, you, there, I don't want to fight anybody in the NFL because everybody would destroy me. He's at the top of the list of guys I absolutely would not want to fight. Like I, no. I want nothing to do with Steve Smith. There's a, a very fight. short list of players I would like to fight in the NFL, and that by that I mean there are zero punters. Oh, I don't, I don't. I think I'd get beat up by anyone in the NFL: punter, kicker, long snapper, probably coach. Coaches. Most, most water boys, even even like the aging coaches. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I think not, we, I'm not much of a fighter. This was a, this was an old roto office question a long time ago, and it was you know which NFL coach would you least want to fight? And I think for for years, I mean, like Jack Del Rio was oh. was the Jags coach at the time. I was like, he he was still like one of the younger coaches, middle linebacker, nasty player. Like he was pretty high on the list. I, I was basically focusing on the younger coaches who would still be super athletic and and kind of like in their mold. Would not want to fight players. Todd Bowles. Bowles, uh, Tomlin wouldn't want to fight him. Dan K- <laughs> Dan Campbell would probably be at the top of the list right now of guys you wouldn't want to fight among NFL head coaches. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have to launch a separate. Uh NFL head coaches hypothetical fight scenarios podcast. A- NFL fights by podcast. <laughs> we should we should do that. We should no. We should seriously. We should start an NFL fights podcast where we talk about which NFL players and coaches in fights against each other would win. I would be more than down for that. Final game will break down Sunday night. Patriots thirty four, Colts twenty seven. Final score uh, a little bit closer than this game was. Uh, you know, New England was really in control from the start. Indianapolis came out and scored on its first drive. Uh, and actually led this one for most of the first half uh, and into halftime. But, I mean, I don't think there was really any doubt in anyone's mind. New England was in control. The one thing we really need to talk about is what I'm just going to call the play. And I'm sure you've seen the highlight of this at this point. You know, you know what I'm talking about? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually uh, watch the video again if I don't have to watch the Steve Jobs trailer again. Oh, okay. it's the Steve Jobs trailer again! Is it really? How does it happen? How does it not know that I just watched this? What did you type in? Just like Colts play? Um, no, I'm just not. Na- I, I didn't Google it. I, I'm navigating from, I, you know, that's what I should have done. I should have Googled it. I'm watching it on ESPN. Oh, uh, okay. And I, look, I understand. They, they, they want to capitalize on my desire to watch videos, and they should be able to profit from, from that in this capitalism economy. 101 yeah that's that's how it works so 
I'm going to watch this play, and uh, it, it's. I heard some pretty interesting things about. Okay, so they're running everybody off the field. No, they're not going to run everybody off the field. Now they're running a strange formation. This seems like a terrible idea. It's fourth and three at the 37 yard line. I'm driving their my own car. 37 yard line. Yeah, their own 37. At this point, oh my goodness, that what was that? What are they thinking? Is that the worst play that you can ever remember in NFL history? Yeah, I've never seen a worse play than that one. There, are, there have been worse like individual actions within a play. Brandon Marshall trying to pitch it a couple weeks ago comes to mind. But like worst play call and play execution I think I have ever seen. Never seen anything remotely like this. Chuck Pagano said that they were never supposed to snap the ball. I think the the goal was to line, you know, line up in that crazy formation, cause New England to scramble and try to switch their personnel and either – you know, A, they're confused and they don't line up enough guys over center and you can just kind of run it. It looked like, you know, as you watch the play, it looks like it was supposed to be a sneak type of play, you know, just judging on, you know, the first motion of whoever was playing quarterback. Um, and the other thing, was, you know, Pagano was yelling on the sideline, like, don't snap it, don't snap it. And they, they snapped it anyway. And obviously what happened uh, when it's one guy trying to block four Patriots. Um, but I, I, why? Why at that point in the game? Why would that field position why are you not just punting the ball? And if you're going to go for it against this Patriots team that you're going to need a couple of those plays to beat, just line up and play them. You have a great quarterback in Andrew Luck. You have a dependable running back in Frank Gore. I just It's puzzling. I, I'm i going to have to look at a lot of memes on this too because I'm sure it, there generated, were no shortage. it, I'm sure it generated some pretty amazing stuff. But I, all, the, all the things that, that – you, you could probably count a dozen different things that were wrong about this setup. And this is horrible. Now I'm trying to watch it on a Vine, and there's an ad for... There's ads on Vine now? Maybe it's not a Vine. Maybe it's a Twitter video. But why Why is? Why are things so bad? Like, why, why can't I just watch a video? Why is that not allowed? So, no, amazingly, the reason why I didn't see this, and I didn't, I didn't actually even wake up and watch TV this morning. I just got up, hit, hit the gym. That's my routine. Yeah, how's that going? What it's going pretty well. I mean, uh, it, it's going to be a few weeks before you see like visible gains. Hashtag gains of the Z. But you'll be ready to take on some NFL coaches. I, I have to be because I never know when I'm going to be in a position to fight one. Did the Colts not have any timeouts when this happened? That's oh, what no. I was going back. No, no, to no, look no, at. no. They did. That that that's the other thing. It's how do you not call a timeout? And obviously, like, again, Pagano took the full blame for this. Basically, said it was a stupid call after the game, but. I, I don't think he was ever under the impression that the team was going to snap the ball. So I don't think he thought – I think he just expected them to <sighs> – He just I wanted mean, to but, show the look have, and decide. Right, but at the same at time, the time, like, what are you – were you expecting, you know, the t- like the players on the field to call a timeout? Like, if you're not going to call a timeout, like, if he wasn't expecting a snap, what was he expecting to happen? <laughs> I have no idea, but – this is just this is this actually could be the worst play that's ever happened in the NFL. The underrated part of the whole play for me is watching Patrick Chung run in and like there's just a brief second where he puts his hands up as he's running the ball like what the hell was that? <laughs> Why are they doing like, the this? The Patriots are like did, did this count? Like we're we're just going to get the ball here now, right? Wow. I I am I you could have described that play to me and I wouldn't have been able to imagine something that horrific in my mind. Right. I was I was in the bathroom at the time. I was watching the game with, with my with a friend and I just heard like wild laughter from from the living room, and I was like, I can't think of the last time I've laughed out loud. And I'm a Jaguars fan. I can't think of the last time I've laughed out loud at a play in an NFL game. But that was that was something. I, I don't. There's no explanation for that at all. And, and of course, New England was able to turn around and score immediately on that drive, given the field position. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, that's this is going to be the defining play of the Chuck Pagano era when he's inevitably fired after this season. I think you're going to look back to week six and think oh, maybe they shouldn't have ran the, the swinging gate from their own 35. Yeah, that probably will end up on the on the Chuck Pagano <laughs> highlight reel. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just looking even at like at the photos of the play from above, you know, the, the formation that New England was in, like what was the like the snapper and, and the court, whoever who was playing quarterback for this uh, for, for Indianapolis? Oh, some guy Worker number 32, number 32. So we got to get the Colts roster up here oh, with numbers. Everything's terrible. Here's why everything's terrible. It was Colt Anderson, a safety out of Montana. Right. That, that's your that's your play, that's your. Like, that's why your is idea? your safety? I don't know. I don't. It, Griff Whalen snapped in the ball. <laughs> why did this happen? There's so many. I would just like there to be a full press conference where Pagano has to put on a lie detector and like answer every single question that everyone has about this play until everyone's done asking questions. Like he doesn't he doesn't get to choose the parameters <laughs> of the interview. Like he has to answer every single question that people have. And I think the first question would just be, why. What? Why? Like, what? What are you doing? That that'd be the first one, and I don't think anything he could say after that would would go without like making the needles no. move on the. And we've had draft. we've had the NFL Network on in the background here in the studio, and I've personally seen them replay the play at least like four times in the last hour. Like that that's like the biggest takeaway from Week Six for, as far as like a national media perspective. You know, like you know ESPN and a show like Sports Center that kind of panders more to the casual fan, like. If there's one thing that you're going to be able to talk to anyone about from week six, people who don't maybe follow football quite as closely, it's going to be that play. I'm glad I got to see it because now I'm part of the loop. Right, exactly. All right, anything else you want to touch on with this week or should we wrap it up? No, I think we can wrap it up. I think we can as well. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. As always, we're brought to you by DraftKings.com. They're the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use that promo code Rotowire when you deposit uh, for a free contest entry today. Again, that's on DraftKings. Also, be sure to check out rotowire.com. You can do that for free by going to rotowire.com slash pod. If you go to rotowire.com slash podcast, not slash pod, slash podcast, that's where you can listen to all of our podcasts. You can download all of our podcasts. Uh, You can get the MP3 format. You can basically download whatever format you want and then throw that onto your iTunes, throw that onto your phone, whatever you want to do, listening on your own time. Thanks again for listening. The Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast will return on Tuesday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.